During a great storm, a physician in a small town was called to go some seven miles into the country to visit a sick child. It was evening and the snow was falling so rapidly that it soon blotted out the road and left him in danger of losing his way. Reaching a farmhouse, he telephoned to the next one beyond, asking them to hang a lantern. They did so and sent the word on to the next neighbor, who in turn sped the message. And so the doctor with his horse and buggy was enabled to drive forward through the storm, making his way from light to light until he reached the home where he was needed. When it's real dark, it only takes a little light to shine bright. There will always be places of darkness in this world. I get that. I understand that. But I'm expecting you to be children of light. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. There's a tremendous amount of darkness that pervades our world today that can leave one hopeless and in despair. But as Charles Tapp explains, it's time God's people hold up the light of God's glory so hope can begin to live in the hearts of those who need it most. As he shares his message, hold up the light. Today we begin the celebration of the season of Advent here at Sligo Church. Advent symbolizes the present situation that the church is in in these last days as God's people await the return of Christ in glory to consummate his eternal kingdom in much the same way Israel did at the end of the New Testament as they waited with great expectation for the coming of the Messiah. As Israel looked back to God's gracious acts as he led them out of bondage from Egypt into the land of promise, they now looked to to their Redeemer to again act on their behalf, but this time looking for the person of the promised Messiah. In much the same way today, we the church during this season of Advent look back to this great event of Christ coming as a babe, while at the same time, we look forward with great anticipation to the Savior's second Advent when he shall come not as a babe in the manger, but as he shall return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And someone needs to say amen today. You see, the season of Advent is a season that is filled with hope because it invites us to look forward to a glorious and amazing act and event in the future based on an equally glorious event of the past. And it is with this in mind that I've chosen for this first Sabbath of Advent to look at a particular portion of Scripture that I believe accentuates these two very important aspects of what Advent is really all about. The future hope that is based on a past expectation. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah today as we go to Isaiah, the 60th chapter. Just open it there and just leave it open as we'll be looking at this chapter today. But when you look at Isaiah chapter 60, and Isaiah in general, especially when you get to the middle portion of the book, 
you begin to see the amazing story of God's people who have been exiled from their home in Jerusalem, having been held captive in Babylon for some 70 years. But as we read Isaiah, we find that the God's people are no longer prisoners in Babylon, but now have been made and returned home, having been set free by King Cyrus of Persia, who had recently defeated the Babylonians. And instead of subjugating the Jewish exiles, Isaiah tells us that Cyrus allows them to return to Jerusalem and even goes as far as to provide for the means for them to begin the rebuilding process. But when you read the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah, especially chapters 4 and 5, it becomes painfully clear that their return home was not going to be a walk in the park. Upon their return, these former exiles began to discover that the God who was able to make their return trip possible has not seen fit to make it a seamless one. And when you read the accounts in Ezra and Nehemiah, they reveal that as God's people made attempts to rebuild what they had lost, to, to rebuild their homes, to rebuild their lives and to even begin to rebuild the temple that they were going to be opposed at every turn. One of my favorite accounts is found in Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm sure many of us are familiar with this story where the prophet Nehemiah begins the work of rebuilding the walls. And as he is there building one day, a group of individuals come to him and try to entice him to come down as if they were on some kind of diplomatic mission. But he understood very clearly that they were up to no good. And the only reason they wanted him to come down, Nehemiah says, is so that they could kill him and take his life and bring an end to the rebuilding process. But I love Nehemiah's Response. I could preach a whole week on just his response. And this is how he responded to them. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. You see, many of us would read that, and we would think that Nehemiah in essence is saying, I'm doing a great job, so I can't stop what I'm doing. But that's not what he was saying at all. But when you think about it, what makes a work great? And there are basically two things. One, to whom the work is being done. And secondly, how long will that work last? So when Nehemiah was saying, I can't come down because I'm doing a great work, in essence, he was saying this, I can't come down. I have no time to fool with you because I'm doing God's work. And listen, whatever you and I do for God, it is a great work. And if it's a great work, it will last forever. I don't care how small or minute you may think the work that you are doing for God or the work that I'm doing for God, whenever we do for God, it is a great work and it will last. But as Nehemiah and these some 42,000 former exiles had come to the realization that just because God is with you, doesn't guarantee life is going to be easy. Even if you're doing the work 
that God has called you to do. You see, these newly returned exiles struggled to believe that, that God was still with them. Yes, he delivered them by the hand of Cyrus, but here's the question they were asking as they were being opposed at every turn during the rebuilding process. We know you brought us out, but God, where are you now? And I believe herein lies the universal question that every believer has asked, is asking, or will one day ask in the future. And that is this, especially when difficult and trying times come your way. And guess what? They're coming. And that is this, where is God? You ever asked that question? I have. When things aren't going the way that I want, and not just going the way I desire, but it seems like things are just being turned upside down because life can be unbearable when it appears that God is silent. The great reformer Martin Luther, the night before he was to stand before the tribunal and to stand for his faith, Listen to the words of the prayer that he prayed that night before. He says, bless us, Lord, even curse us, but don't remain silent. And if there is a thing that you and I have against God, it is that in many of our cases, we feel at times God is silent. And here is the greatest argument that atheists use to say that God does not exist, the fact that there is so much pain, so much suffering in the world, and God simply remains silent. I just read this past week that those times when God is silent, it helps us to understand that our higher good is not to have a problem-free life. Who would like to have a problem-free life? See, it's not the higher good of man to have a problem-free life. The higher good of man is to be more like Christ. And what I've discovered is the thing that God uses more than anything else to make us more into the image of Christ is his silence in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. But as these first few verses of Isaiah begin to unfold, God not only begins to remind these former exiles that he is with them, but he also makes it very clear to them that he never left them. Let's look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 60. As we just look at the first three verses, look at what it says. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory shall be seen by you. Look at verse 3. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. In these few verses, the prophet Isaiah renews the promise of a new day for God's people. First of all, he wants to assure them, number one, that God has not forgotten them. Even though, if we're honest, 
There are times in my life and in your life we all feel as though God has forgotten us. That's just human nature. But the second thing he wants to remind them is this, that the mission that I have given you to be a light unto the nations is still the mission that I want you to carry out even now. And that's why he says to them in verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. This phrase, the glory of the Lord, in the Old Testament is synonymous with the active presence of God in the lives of his people. So when Isaiah said to them, arise, shine, for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord is upon you. In essence, he was saying that the presence of God is still with you. He is in the very midst of you. Despite the opposition that you're facing, despite the obstacles that you're having to endure, despite the fact that some of you feel as though I have abandoned you, Isaiah says to them, be reassured that God is still with you. And isn't that what we all desire? Isn't that what we all want to know, especially during those times in our lives where we have setbacks and downfalls and missteps? More than anything else, I want to know that God is still with me. And when you look at how they felt, you can't dismiss it because it was very legitimate. Because these individuals, these 42,000 people, the reason why they were enslaved, exiled for some 70 years is because of their blatant disobedience to God. Yes, they suffered through the darkness of this lengthy exile. Yes, they experienced difficult time in trying to rebuild. Yes, their neighbors and their enemies opposed them at every turn. Yes, they were beaten down by the circumstances of life, most of which they brought upon themselves. And isn't that the way it is in life? Most of the pain you and I endure from time to time is because we brought it on ourselves. But God has not punished them to destroy them. But God placed them in exile for 70 years of darkness so that he could redeem them. And that's what Jesus meant in Revelation 19, verse 3, when he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Every godly parent knows what I'm talking about this morning. Amen? We don't discipline our children because we just love to punish them. I know you guys feel that way. That's not why we do it. That's not why we did it. We did it to redeem you. Because if we hadn't done it, some of you wouldn't be seated right here today. So the day before it is over, call your parents and say, thank you for the spankings. Thank you for putting me on punishment. Do that before the day is over. They'll probably have to go to the hospital having a heart attack. <laughs> you see, God doesn't place us in times of darkness just to punish us. But he understands our human nature and he does it. He's silent because he's trying to redeem us. And this message of Isaiah to these former exiles was meet in due season. That God is still with them. That the glory of his presence is still on them which is, by the way, the reason he was able to say, 
arise and shine, for your light has come. In Hebrew, shine and light are two forms of the same word, so it could easily have been translated, give light, for your light has come. In other words, God's message to his people is clear. Because you have the assurance that I am with you, because the light has come, then begin to live as people of light and not as people of darkness. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Hold Up the Light. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life. And when it's real dark, it only takes a little bit of light to shine bright. This week, Charles Tapp asks if your presence adds to the darkness of the world or if you bring light and hope to those who need it most. As he concludes his message, hold up the light. When you look at light, it's a common metaphor in the Bible, which many times stands for righteousness. It can stand for goodness. But light in Scripture, as well as in life, can also refer to hope. Have you ever used or heard the expression, there's light at the end of what? The tunnel? What are you saying? I'm currently in darkness, but because I see just a glimpse of light, I now have what, everybody? Hope. So he was telling the people, not only do you have a light upon you, you have hope, but you need to start acting like children of hope. I'm sure we've all heard the expression many times to keep hope alive. Well, here's the thing. It's not our job to keep hope alive. It's hope that keeps us alive. You don't believe me? Just have your life robbed of hope. You'll begin to discover very quickly that without hope, many of us will not get up out of the bed in the morning. In the morning. Many of us would not begin our day. Many of us would take our very lives if it weren't for this thing called hope. And Isaiah is reassuring the people that God is still with you. You have hope. You have light. So why aren't you acting like children of light, children of hope. You see, what made this promise of deliverance and restoration such a powerful message of hope in the lives of these newly released exiles 
was their ability to look back to God's previous intervention in their lives. You see, they could look back to when many of their ancestors had been enslaved in Egypt and how God's mighty hand brought them out. And that's what hope does. Hope allows you to look to the past so that you can anticipate the future. And that's why I tell people all the time, especially my students, it is better to have an experiential knowledge of God instead of having just an intellectual knowledge of God. And too many of us have an intellectual experience with God and we don't have a practical living experience with God. We used to tell our children when they were growing up, listen, it's not enough for us as parents to know God. You've got to know God for yourself. It's not going to pass on by osmosis. It just doesn't work that way. And here's the thing, whether we like it or not, the way God allows us to know him best is not by the blessings that we like to be poured into our lives. Because blessings we are easily to forget. But the way God helps us to begin to see him and understand him more clearly is when he takes us through those dark paths, through those dark moments in our lives. When did you draw closest to God? When he poured all the things you wanted into your life? Or was it during those moments where you even doubted that God was still with you? God understands our nature and he knows that we've got to go through darkness and these 70 years of exile for God's people were just that. They were darkness. But now he says to them, darkness is over. Arise, shine, and start acting like people who have hope. You see, when you truly know God more than an intellectual level, you can say like Job, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. You can say like Paul that all things do work together for good. Those things that I like and those things that I happen to dislike. You can say like David, the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You don't come to that understanding when you're going through the light. You get that when you're going through the darkness. All of us have to experience the dark times in our lives. But what Isaiah is telling them, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. In other words, there is hope for you. So Francis Bacon put it this way. He says, in order for the light to shine brightly, the darkness must be present. See, darkness it says in Isaiah, was covering the earth. And not only was it covering the earth, he said it was covering all the peoples except for you. He says, you shall be children of light because the light has come. Even though Christ had not come as a babe, he's talking about the future hope based on a past reality where God has come through for them. So in essence, he's saying, start acting like people of light. 
This is what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. He says, you are the what? Light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be what? Cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the what? House. Look at verse 16. So he says, so let your light do what? Shine before men that they may see your what? Good works and not glorify you for having the light, but to give glory to your Father which is in heaven. You know, you and I don't have to look very far to see that our world has been engulfed with darkness. Amen? During the political season, I just stayed off social media altogether. Regardless of who you were voting for, it really doesn't matter. What does matter is the meanness that I saw just put out over the world wide web. But what really shocked me as I was sharing with those in the 845 service this morning is that most of, yea, a great deal of the meanness came from people who claimed to be children of light. See, it just got real quiet. Because you know I'm telling the truth. I saw believers castrating, destroying individuals because of difference of opinions. And as I said last week, we've got to have the gospel of tolerance when it comes to issues that are debatable. And who you want to vote for, that's debatable. But I saw God's people on the World Wide Web on social media, just using all kinds of language. Instead of adding light to darkness, they just added more darkness. You see, people, and they should, expect to see a difference in how I deal with certain things. So when politics don't go the way I want, I don't add more darkness, but I shine the light to let people know it doesn't matter who's in office, where they're in office, there's somebody who sits on a throne. That's how you add light. How is the world going to be able to see the light if the children who have the light aren't acting like children of light? So in essence, the prophet is saying to these exiles and he's saying to us today to hold up the light. Where you find injustice, hold up the light. Where you find situations where individuals are not being extended mercy, hold up the light. In other words, act like the presence of God is with you. Some of you may have seen at various concerts and various large events where it's dark and you'll see people holding up their phones, their lanterns, their candles, and you'll see thousands of lights just break through the darkness. But it is a phenomenal sight to see. For one minute, it's pitch dark. And all of a sudden, you see these tiny beams of light. Even if there was only one light being held up in that dark place, it would still be seen. And that's what Isaiah is saying to us. And that's what Jesus 
in the Sermon on the Mount is saying to us. There will always be places of darkness in this world. I get that. I understand that. But I'm expecting you to be children of light. Children of hope. Wherever you are, whatever you go, whatever you are doing, because when you raise up the light, Jesus says, then I will draw all men unto me. So let's be children of light. Let's not add to the darkness that's already out there. I love what it says in Isaiah 60, verse 3. It says that if they're willing to hold up the light, people from all parts of the world will come to see the light. You hold up the light on the job. It doesn't mean preaching any, at anyone. It means standing as a person of hope. You hold up the light in your neighborhood. You hold up the light in your community. You hold up the light in your home. You hold up the light wherever you are. And if I hold up the light and you hold up the light, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I'm going to draw all men, women, boys, and girls to me. For it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Hold Up the Light. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.